Welcome to Coach Your Brains Out, the show that explores learning from the top minds in volleyball and beyond. With your hosts, John Mayer, Billy Allen, Andrew Fuller, and Nils Nielsen. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Coach Your Brains Out. I'm Nils Nielsen. I'm John Mayer. And I'm Billy Allen. Today we have BJ Leroy on the show. BJ is the Badger Region Education Chair and a member of the Board of Directors. He's a USA Volleyball instructor and currently coaches for Wisconsin Volleyball Academy. He's also an admin for the famous Facebook page, Volleyball Coaches and Trainers. BJ, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. So what was your latest count on how many uh, members of the VCT family? We just went over 15,000. Um, which uh, was a neat, kind of a neat accomplishment, um, especially for sort of a grassroots effort. Pretty neat to see that many people. And uh, with the new Facebook stats, you can tell that a lot of people are engaged in what's going on, you know, daily. So it's it's getting a lot of good, uh, a lot of good press, a lot of good publication in there. Yeah, I know. I I check it out, and there's always a lot of interesting questions. Um, and I feel like you respond on there a lot, which is with some great stuff. That's why we kind of had you on because I feel like we can ask some of these tough questions to you and get some good responses. Um, but uh, first, you so you coached in Wisconsin. Did you ever work with Danny Kinda? I have. Uh, <laughs> I have not worked with Danny Kinda, though. I'm a big fan of his videos. Okay, I heard he was like Wisconsin Waterfalls in high school. I didn't know if that was around you. No, that's uh, I. We've never met in person. Okay. That was the girls' team, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, I think it's girls. <laughs> yeah, definitely girls' height net. Well, cool. Well, we're gonna basically ask you some, you know, coaching questions, and we can kind of maybe get have that start a conversation. And then Nils, John, if we want to disagree with them or agree with them or just kind of let it let it flow from there. So, BJ, to start, how do you deal with a player who always shows up late? Well, and, and that's a common one um, we, that we sort of deal with all the time, especially with club. Um, uh, I think as you move up the ladder, it probably happens less. But, you know, like, for me, my filter for any situation and really our only team rule is to be reasonable. <laughs> I don't like a lot of rules. Uh, um, I'm, I'd rather discuss the philosophy of the team than, than make a whole bunch of rules. So um, that's a pretty broad pretty broad statement but it allows you to deal with almost any situation that comes up you know either as a team or an individual so your example is a continually late player so i'd say um all right martha well because you know everybody has a a player named martha nowadays right (laughs) great great pick there bj uh martha is it reasonable for you to be late every day when the rest of the team is showing up early and that's Usually that's enough to uh, to get a player to to reevaluate. Um, or, you know, in some cases, you're going to hear, "Well, um, I can't get my parents to give me a ride here on time." Or, I mean, if if a kid's under 16 and they can't they can't drive or walk there, get on a bus or something, they sort of lack the control to get there on time. Or, you know, a high school kid might have to study extra or um, you know things like that. There's usually some reason if it's habitual. If it's just a if it's a laziness issue, well, you know, then you got to work with the player and say, uh, uh, like for me, we'd probably just do extra work while they were gone and let them know about it, guilt them into showing up on time. Um, 
uh, that works on a girls team that works pretty well on a guys team. It might work the opposite. Um, um, but, uh, that's how I deal with it. I, I just have never really had a problem. Um, once or twice is enough or, uh, you know, if a kid misses a bus, I guarantee they're never going to be late again. If you take off on a Saturday morning before they're there, they'll, they'll make sure that they're early from then on. So I have a question for you because, uh, in this vein. So last year I had this super elegant, what I thought was a great system for my team in hopefully having personal accountability with them taking care of their own lateness and all this stuff. It ended up being a disaster. So we won't get into that. So this year, what I've uh, implemented is basically I, I told the team day one, uh, if, if you're late, coach on one and then we move on. Don't care. We're going to move on. But that's that's the punishment. That's it. So I would love to hear your feedback and maybe poke some holes in the problems and give me some some possible issues. Well, I think I mean, everybody has to look at their own team. If that's what's going to work for your team, then go ahead and do it. But for me, I don't necessarily need to embarrass a kid. Um, I don't need to put a spectacle on or, or something for them. Um, if with the kids that I have or that I've worked with, if if you're there and you're engaged in practice and you're going, if they show up five, ten minutes late, they're really hustling on to the floor and they're they're semi embarrassed about being late, whether it was their fault or somebody else's. Um at least been that's that's been my experience. Uh I'd I'd like to hear how your coach on one situation works. I mean, is it is it gonna you know, is a kid gonna uh have to stand there in front of their peers and and uh you know be embarrassed over the whole thing or or will they never do it again i don't know um that's uh you know it's you're kind of getting into wooden's uh disciplinary it's not it's not something you do to someone it's something you do for someone you know so i don't know i don't know if it'll work or not i guess you'll see huh yeah, I, you know, I, I think with the the character of the team, it's not going to be too much of an issue. And it's we do we do coach on ones every Monday. Everybody gets a coach on one, so it's not something that we do okay. to embarrass each other. It's 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 a thing that we we put in the realm of uh, hard work. So it's just something that we do that we say is works hard in other teams. Um, you know, we'll see. I definitely if hopefully I don't ever embarrass a kid. That's definitely not not the goal there. I, I don't think we we would ever do it in a way that well, we have that. <clears throat> Yeah, and if your if your team is used to doing that sort of thing, it's like uh you know, they'll be uh they'll jump right in and it's over and then you're done and past it. Maybe maybe the quick ending is the way to go. Yeah. Well I guess we'll uh maybe we could do a, a round two at, at the around <laughs> around Christmas time and I'll let you know how it goes. <laughs> we'll see if uh if any of this uh stuff that I'm slinging is uh is worth anything. No, and I, yeah. And I like that BJ and I think it helps to start if your first drill or warm up is is pretty fun, then that kind of like yeah, like you said, the kid comes in, they feel like they're missing out. If they're kind of doing ten minutes of dynamic stretching, maybe it's a little less <laughs> of like they're missing out and want to get their own time. But yeah, that's a good point. We we start with fun stuff right away. They do boring stuff all day, so it's like <laughs> let's get to the fun part. All that. Uh, I, I, the next question that I, I have for you is uh, maybe a little situational, and I want you to imagine that you have a player that that pouts and has really terrible body language uh, when they're on the bench. Can you tell us a little bit how you would handle that situation? Um. Yeah, absolutely. And I've had uh, maybe once or twice have had that case. Um, 
one time it ended really well and one time it ended uh, pretty poorly. <laughs> um, but in each case, to me again, is it reasonable for you to distract your team? That would be my direct question to the player. And is it helping you get on the floor? The answer to both of those is obviously no. So then we've established that she knows it's not working. I know it's not working. So then I got to help the kid. What can we work on together so that you can improve because you're likely pouting because you're not playing? So how can we help you improve so you can challenge for that spot that you're pouting over? Um, uh, to to maybe just uh, go more in depth on that, what would you do if a player was in the same situation, but they were actually playing and they were so much better than anybody else, but they still had the same kind of body language? Well, originally, uh, when I started my career, I probably would have, you know, yelled at them and said, "You're making us look terrible out there by your by your bad body language." Now I, that win just is not important enough to me to deal with it. So they'd get subbed out. We're not going to have somebody on the floor that's embarrassing us. Um, now that's situational too. If you're in the middle of your conference championship match, I have a hard time believing that somebody's going to be out on the floor pouting or showing off bad body language. I got to believe they're in full concentration mode. Um, but if you're, <laughs> you're in the middle of your season playing for fifth or seventh place, I can understand the body language. Then you might as well, take that kid out and get somebody else in that wants to play. So wanted to go into uh, some punishments and just uh, if people don't know what a coach on one is, it's, um, it's probably been used a long time in volleyball. And my, what I, when I've experienced it, it's when a coach is throwing balls that a player tries to run and dive and get for an extended period of time and the rest of the team watches. So just want to make sure people are clear on that. But I'm wondering, do you use, I guess um, it sounds like you don't use that, but do you use any other forms of punishment for your team? Um, well, like a hundred years ago, <laughs> I used to, for sure. Uh, we, I remember one, one time we lost a match that we sh- we had no bother, no, um, uh, we shouldn't have lost. Let's just put it that way. And, uh, we came back and I made him run, you know, for every point the other team scored or something, you know, something silly like that. Um, nowadays I'll give you two, two expert organizations. The American Academy of Pediatrics is one. So that's, you know, children's doctors. And then SHAPE is the other one, which is the PE teachers, PE and health teachers. Both of those organizations have published literature about using zero punishments, none at all, because one, they don't work, and they can say it better than I can. So for me, I look at that and say, who am I to go against these two uh, you know, groups of national experts. I don't, I don't find that reasonable at all. Um, I mean, how do you punish the cross country team? You guys are late. Go run a lap. All right. <laughs> you know, it's it's ridiculous. You make you make so, them play volleyball. Yeah, maybe, and that that <laughs> may not be so pretty. So <laughs> I, I guess in my mind, you have to figure out you have to figure out how to do it without punishment, and it's kind of complex uh, to to work through that. So what, what does the punishment do? Like what purpose does the punishment serve? What are we trying to get them to do? Or what is it? What do we need? You know, I mean, I'll give you an example. Let's say your team is in practice and one team loses and they also 
didn't try as hard as they could and you feel like they could have given a better effort. Yeah, okay. So what we're talking about is motivation, right? right. The the punishment is for motivation. So <clears throat> am I do I want to motivate them by fear? Do I want them thinking about the punishment while they're playing? I think it's counterproductive. I don't want to be thinking about running laps when they should be concentrating on the game. So in in our world, we use uh, competition all the time. And, and for us, the winning and losing is, is the punishment in and itself. I mean, losing is, uh, losing is no good in our gym. And if you can build around that culture, uh, I, I've never seen a group of kids that wants to lose or that accepts losing. So they're, they're out working hard to get every point they can. Uh, BJ, I have a question for you, and I just want yeah. your opinion because we, I don't, I, I don't necessarily use punishment in the gym. The way we frame it, if the kids are lacking in motivation or, or just needed a little extra kick, is we put what we call stakes on the game, right? And I'll ask mm-hmm. them to participate in it. And sometimes it'll it'll be like a running thing if you lose or something like that. Sometimes it'll be silly. The idea being that it increases the pressure, right? So if you have a kid that's worried about running or doing some punishment on top of losing, it might feel, if you frame it correctly, the same as if you're in a big match and you're losing. You're gonna, it's going to feel more important or you're going to feel like you're more under pressure. Do you think that ha- that idea in practice has any relevance at all? Um, or is that just me overthinking things? Well, I think there are people that do that. Uh, as a matter of fact, I know there are high-level coaches that do that. So who am I to say that you shouldn't? Um, that's why I fall back on, on expert advice. Uh, I'm no psychologist. I'm no, uh, I'm no pediatrician. I don't know how that, um, you know, I mean, generally I can, I can understand how it works. Um, but what you're talking about there is, is it's kind of like when people change the the uh, word punishment, the consequences. <laughs> it's if you're making them run because they lost and calling it a consequence, it's still a punishment for losing. So it's, I understand how people frame it and how they use it. I just, I don't want it to be a part of what we're doing in our gym because of the concentration factor. That's not what I want them thinking about. Um, and, you know, it's, uh, it's certainly you can you can get that to work. You can get a punishment to work, uh, but I think it works in the short term, and I, I don't know that it that it will last for you in the long term. One thing that's interesting to me is just how a coach and player might see the same thing differently. Like I know an extreme example that we see sometimes on the in the comment thread is the idea of like. I saw this coach making their team run suicides, run lines in a tournament for missing serves during timeouts, and it was crazy. And then there's actually, you know, coaches that, you know, chime in saying, "Oh, I've done that," because they and they view it in a different light, thinking that they're yeah motivating their team or holding them to a high standard. Um, so it is interesting to think how a player or a parent watching or a coach might all interpret the same event from like a different perspective. Yeah, it's it is amazing. You have fifteen thousand people in there, and you get uh, most of the time on these issues. You you'll find some people on both sides of them. You know, I, I guess for me, I'm going to rely on what the science is saying, what the expert is saying, and until you get uh, you know, until you get the pediatricians to turn around and say, "Yep, 
punishments are the way to go now, then uh, then I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna look for an alternate way to get my team motivated. All right, BJ. Moving on, your your star middle also plays club badminton during volleyball season. Do you let them play both? Do you make them stop playing badminton? Kind of, and what are the consequences for maybe missing practices if they have if they have conflicts? What what city sure, is this in, Billy? Where's where's the badminton? I didn't want to throw a basketball. <laughs> so it seems so obvious. <laughs> well, um, we were just in Mike Hewlett's gym this weekend down at Adversity in Vernon Hills uh, in Illinois, and on the opposite courts there was badminton going on. So they're uh, they're filling their gym time with badminton players, so it's not that far off. I like um, it. So I, it, for me, this is a great question because my own daughter is going to uh, is about to go through this. Uh, so we've looked at it now from both the coach's side and from the family side. So the question really is: as a coach, do I have the right to dictate what a player does in their free time? And when you phrase it that way, I think you probably already know my answer. A, a pro or a college coach, I think, certainly has some claim to a player's free time because that player is either getting a stipend or scholarship, and, and I think the performance factor is a lot more important. So those two people have to be on the same page for sure. Uh, that's a lot different than a high school or a club kid who that kid – despite being a really good volleyball player, might have higher aspirations in badminton in this case. So is that sport all that much more stressful anyway? I don't know. I mean, how stressful is badminton? Um, uh, maybe if you're good, I don't know. Um, but is, so you as coach, you've got to decide, do you want that kid on your team? And if you're willing to make a sacrifice to have that kid on your team, then you work with the player to figure out an agreement so that she can do what it is for badminton and and then you have to decide can can you live with that and if not maybe you have to reduce the player's role or you have to uh reassess with her you know i i i don't think it's fair especially on a school team to have somebody coming half time to practice and playing full time um but uh, if you can sell it to the team as a coach, if that's what you think you want to do, just for the sake of winning, then I guess, then I guess you see if you can sell it. Um, I I don't think I would, you know. Um, I think I would just I would work with the player, see how see as much as we, you know, get her there as much as we possibly can, and use her in that way. But she's eventually not going to be able to learn as much as everyone else if she's missing a lot. I like it. Um, so this probably never happens to you, but hypothetically, <laughs> say you are approached by a parent uh, and they want to talk about playing time at a tournament. Can you tell us a little bit about how you would handle a situation like that? Well, uh, you know, it happens to me all the time, actually. I talk to parents, I actually seek out the parents. That's my advice to coaches all the time, is to get to know the parents, even if you're only going to have these people for one year, go and sit with them, talk to them between matches, because once you get to know them, you can get them on your side a little bit. Um, And people are, for whatever reason, coaches are afraid to do it. You know, it's kind of like this 24-hour rule that everybody uses. You you can't talk to the coach for 24 hours after the tournament's over. Well, I sort of think that it's like duct taping a leak rather than calling the plumber. (laughs) You know, 
you're <laughs> you're just letting uh you're, just, you're letting the problem build up for another 24 hours. So uh, my way of diffusing that is to give everybody my philosophy. Here's the playing time philosophy. Here's what you're gonna do while you're on this team. Can you agree to that? Um, and you know my personal philosophy the past few years has been to make sure that everybody plays in everybody every match and the the lowest players are going to get about a third of the playing time the best players may play all the time um and and that's it so uh i'd i'd offer to a parent that was really adamant i would say look we do assessments in practice we take some statistics we have at this point determined that your player is not playing as well in these specific areas and I'll show the statistics if they're if they were you know very strongly suggesting that their player should be playing um I've I've done that once or twice uh and once they take a look at the stats and they understand that the stats were taken fairly and they had their chance and I I think most everybody will uh you know hopefully be reasonable about it if you're not taking stats if you're just taking a guess at who the best players are based on your eye, then I'd say you're going to have a little bit more trouble. Always All right, go to so the data. I like that. So I know what Nils's answer is to this one, but I'm wondering what you think about private lessons and if you think there's value in them. Well, um, is, it, uh, is it a private lesson that I'm doing or is it a private lesson that somebody else is doing? Uh, how about somebody else is doing you know it? I mean? like, yeah. Okay. Well, well what so, would yours look like? Why would yours be different? Well, if it's a player on my team that wants to spend extra time with me, then I'm definitely willing to do it. You know, then I, I think there's value in it. The, my only issue is, is there going to be overuse? So I'd probably look to do more, um, mental training or mindset work or something like that. If a player wants to go get a private lesson from somebody else, I'm totally for that because I think a player should have as much exposure to other coaches as possible. The only thing that I would ask of the player, uh, two things, I guess. One is please be wary of overuse issues because if you're in the middle of the season getting private lessons, you're practicing with us, you're practicing with somebody else, we've got to make sure that, that we're not – you know, that we're not uh, overusing somebody. And the second thing is, and this is a really hard one, when you have many coaches coaching or you have alternate coaches, um, high school to club, you have to empower the player to tell you when you've heard something completely different than what you're coaching them. So, so uh, there are certainly coaches that have better ideas than me. And if another coach is teaching my player something in the middle of our season, then I need to know if it was different. So I've got to get that player to communicate to me. I don't know. How, Nils, is that sort of uh, along your line, or how do you do it? Uh, yeah, I mean, how far do we want to go around the rabbit hole? I, I, I think, for me, uh, private lessons are only as good as the coach. Um, you know, I know John, maybe you can, if correct me if I'm wrong, John, but John thinks that a lot of the private lessons that happen are, uh, it's mainly block one-on-one uh, with not game-like situations or game-like reps. So for me, uh, yes, I think they're valuable, but again, it's only as good as the coach. It's only as good as the motivation of the player. 
And at some point uh, with a high level player, it's probably not going to be beneficial, but with some of the, uh, the basics and some of the players that are just learning, I think it's hugely beneficial to, to be able to break down, uh, very specifically some of the things you're trying to get them to do. Um, you know, I mean, specifically, if you're talking about passing, trying to get a player to understand what their angle looks like and feels like and how that reacts to the ball, a lot of time spent one-on-one can help immensely, um, I think. Yeah, I, I think uh, if it's if it's John's opinion that a lot of the private lessons are, you know, are, are can be or are, are not beneficial, Um I would agree with that. I mean, there are certainly people that are out for making a couple of dollars. I don't charge anything for private lessons. I just uh, get the costs covered. So um, I think that keeps the motivation a little bit more pure, for sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'd want to know who the coach is, what, what the coach's background is, and if they can prove that what they're doing is of some value, then then I think, uh, I guess I don't have a problem with it. Yeah, BJ. Just, uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Billy. Yeah, I was going to ask if you just you aren't charging, but would you, would you see any conflict there if you were charging? And when it came to like playing time and like you know a parent is paying you extra kind of thing. Yeah, I think I'd have a hard time with it. I I feel like especially if they're in the season with me, it benefits me for that player to get better. So to charge somebody for that uh, just doesn't <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't seem right to me. If we were out of the season and the parents asking me, um, hey, you know, we really liked you. Could you work with us a little bit more? Then, you know, then I could see why or how somebody could take some money for that. Um, but yeah, in season, I feel like I really owe it to a player to to help them get better. It's my job. Yeah. I like it. That's pretty, it's, that's good. Uh, so we'll move on. Um, so not to get stuck in that rabbit hole, we could probably do the whole thing just on that. But, um, again, with a hypothetical situation, uh, have you ever been in a situation where you feel like the ref has some sort of vendetta against you or your team? And, uh, the perception is that they're openly calling, uh, against your team. Uh, what would you do in a situation like this? and describe for us maybe situations you've had like this. Okay, well, I'll give you a, um, I'll give you one from this year. So if a ref had a vendetta against me, it's probably my fault is the way I think. <laughs> um, and we take, we take video of every match, so I could always go back and look to see how fair the call was. Um, I try to get too hot in the moment. But at Nationals this year, we had a ref who I felt Lost a little bit of control of the match, and uh, against my better judgment, I made a rather meek lift gesture, and, which, of course, was wrong, but I couldn't stop myself. My gesture game is pretty poor, I guess. If, if that's um, wrong, then you don't want to see what uh, John does during an AVP match. <laughs> <laughs> I've watched John play a couple of AVP matches. Um, we're gonna, we maybe have to talk about that. Oh, um, right. <laughs> get, get less red cards. Uh, no, the ref immediately called me on it, which I deserved. I didn't get a card, but I get the finger wave. And I mentioned it to a, a guy that I know uh, through VCT, uh, Roger Ozema, who's a real high-level ref. Probably, I think he was on the officials committee for nationals, and he wanted to know immediately who the guy was. So I told him I wouldn't tell him. And the reason was, 
Uh, first, I, he probably wasn't all that bad. Jose Valvo does a great job uh, policing the referees, certainly, you know, or policing themselves. Uh, the refs police themselves very well, certainly better than the coaches police themselves. Um, and I also owned up to the gesture, and then Roger just accepted that answer. He, he figured I was probably just a little hot in the moment. Um, but uh, I think it's pretty rare. Um, if, if it occurred, and I've had a couple of refs that haven't, haven't liked uh, me or my personal style, um, I think it's my job to be a little bit diplomatic about it and mind what I'm doing to make sure that they know that I'm not showing them up during the match. And I think most, I, I, I think most referees really want to get the game called right. They don't want to embarrass themselves. They don't want to do something that's going to make them look bad. So it'd be, it'd be pretty hard for me to, to imagine a referee, um, you know, having a uh, systematic way of going around my team or hurting my team in some way. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough job being a ref, and um, I still get mad at him a lot, but that's all right. But it's a tough job. Um, so let's say you have, uh, or let's say you're coaching Billy, and Billy, uh, Billy Allen, he uh, plays out on the beach, and he gets a little bit tight near the end of games. Infamously. You know, he, doesn't, he doesn't want to get served. He makes some hitting errors. He gets really nervous. What do you? Okay. What would you do? How would you work on his mental toughness? Um, boy, Billy, his mental toughness. Um, we've Billy and I have actually talked about his mental toughness. Uh, some we uh, I interviewed him for an article that we did. Um, how do we help a, a player's mental toughness? I, I'm I'm not the greatest at this uh, mental toughness thing, but I'm working with. Uh, another friend, a guy that you guys probably know, Dan Mickle. Um, he's a uh, he's a performance uh, coach, and his term is mental flexibility, which I like a lot more than mental toughness. Um, and that going down that line is more like you don't have to be tough, but what you have to do is you have to assess the situation you're in figure out what we can do, figure out what my, my skill set is and how I can get out of the situation that I'm in if I'm struggling to side out or I'm struggling to score a point. Uh, um, you know, we just, we just can't close the gap with this team. We've got to figure out what new thing we can do, what, what, um, what has this problem presented us with and how can we make some sort of a change. Um, I really... I really like that. I'm not expert at it yet, but I, I think it's helping uh, a couple of my kids that uh, have struggled in some big moments. I'll just get in their ear and say, look, you're presented with this problem. What are the things you can do? We've studied this. How do you fix it? And I think, uh, I think that really helps. Um, it, just the idea of the, of the flexibility helps. Um, get people over that over that hump. Cool. I'm using it. No, no more. There you uh, go, Billy. No more You're third set. game victory for you in Manhattan this week. <laughs> so, BJ, let's say coaches ask you, "What's the perfect drill that would teach my players to pass better or to hit better?" Um, are, is there such a thing as perfect drills? What kind of advice do you give if they kind of are looking for that magic drill? I think uh, the perfect drill 
is the game for sure. Um, if there's such a thing as perfect, I mean, that's a, that's a tough, uh, that's a tough sell in my mind, but you know, uh, I, I follow, uh, Marv's, um, advice on this. The best passing drill is a pass set hit drill. The best setting drill is a pass set hit drill. The best hitting drill is a pass set hit drill. And I think like for us, I, I tell people on the passing side, when we're done working on passing, we work on passing. It really takes that much to be good at passing. It's a super hard skill. It's one of the hardest things I think we do. Um, so is there an awesome drill? No. Um, or a perfect drill? No. There are a lot of awesome drills. Uh, we do a lot of, uh, we cut the cord in half and play a lot of doubles. Um, you know, take the, take the kids outside and go play in the sand, which I'm sure you guys like to hear. Um, I think, I think all those things, just more reps and, and more good reps is the best way to go. Um, of course, assuming that you can get some good mechanics thrown in there as well. Is that what makes it a good rep? The just with good form, or what do you mean by a good rep? Uh, to me, a good rep is a is a rep that is um, you had to make some choices. You're presented a problem. You know, you, you're looking at an opponent. The opponent's going to do something. What is it that they're doing? How can you read and figure out what they're going to do? I think. Um, I think the the more that you can see an opponent, I mean, reading is so hard. Reading is, is a, an incredibly hard thing to do. And it's hard to teach people to read. They've, they've got to learn how to read on their own. And if you're a coach that's standing, tossing underhand balls or uh, tossing for your players to hit or standing on the same side of the net as them, you can't learn how to read that way. That reading is so critical in the timing of, of any skill. So, so yeah, I think to me, a good rep is one that's coming over the net from your opponent. You're having to look through your own block and look around the block to see what they're doing, what they're hitting or how they're serving at you. And if you don't have perfect mechanics, but you still make the play, is that a good rep? I, I mean, I think so. I'd like to work in practice to have as good a mechanics as we possibly can, and and you should be. Um, but uh, you know, it comes to game time, you got to make the play, and I think reading is the way. Uh, so I have a, a question for you. This happens just coming off of uh, summer. We've been running a lot of camps, I'm sure, as coaches, and this happens to me almost every camp where we're doing a skill. We'll use passing as an example, and uh, we say, hey, okay, we're going to work on passing. Kind of give them the whole thing, and then a player says, uh, "I already know how to do that." What <laughs> What does it sound like? What do you What does that conversation sound like for you uh, when you have a player that comes to you like that? Well, let's prove it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you can prove it to me. But we're going to put you out on the floor with a teammate you got to deal with. We're going to put some servers over here, and you have to pass well enough that you can get outside and get your hitting rep or pass a pass well enough that we can hit some one balls and we'll rank your passing and we'll see how good your passing is. And if in fact you can pass at a two, eight or a two, nine, all right, you already know how to do that. You're right. But you find that kid and, uh, <laughs> and everyone in the country is going to want them because the, the, the passing is hard, you know, it's a call their bluff. Uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think statistics yeah. are so important in this case. You can stat a kid with pluses and minuses or your ranking systems. It's so easy to do um, and, and show them, you know, here's what you're doing when you're hitting. It's, this is, 
this is not uh, what we need. We need to be hitting at, you know, 20 percentage points higher than this or whatever it is, you know. I like it. I like it. Um, so I have another hypothetical situation for you. Seems like I'm the storyteller guy today. The hypothetical <laughs> ones. You got a lot of these. Yeah, How do we know right. that they're hypothetical? I don't know. <laughs> we might be calling your bluff. That. Yeah. Um, so imagine that your most talented player, you have your most talented player, and maybe they are a little lazy, maybe a little selfish, uh, but they're still way better than the you know five two, five three backup that, that's playing behind them. Uh, what does a conversation sound like for you with that player to to help them get better? Well, my first question would be to the player: Does success matter to you? <laughs> you know, because if they're always, of course, going to say yes. If they say it doesn't, well, then we're lost and we might need to lose the player. But but every player really wants to have success. So if you're a good player on a team and you want to have success, then I would say, do you see yourself as a leader? Because whether or not you do or don't, you're leading the team. They're following you, and I have no control over that. So if, if you're, you're willing to be lazy or not work as hard or be selfish on the floor, then you're going to lead your team to do the same thing. But they're not as good as you are physically, so – they're not going to see, succeed at the same rate as you are, and we're going to lose points just because of your leadership. <laughs> so I think, I think getting more toward the kid's head and what they're, what's going on in it, they might not even recognize what they're doing. Um, I mean, it, consider taping yourself, or you know, just went back in time, consider taking video of yourself at a match and watch yourself on the sideline. It's... Uh, it's you got to be pretty brave to watch it the first time because you're going to see a lot of things that you don't like. And it's very possible that the kid just doesn't know what they look like, what their body language looks like. Hmm. I like that. Um, we'll move on to the next question too. That, that was cool. Uh, uh, what, how would you address mean girls or uh, clicks on a team? All right. So those are, to me, those are two different things. Okay. Mean has got to stop immediately. I'll, I've, I'll send a kid out of the gym or your practice is over today. Later, we'll talk about how that's going to change. And there again, I think you can get at a, at a player by saying, what, what's so intimidating about this player you're being mean to that you have to be mean to them? Why are you so threatened by that player? And it kind of turns it back around on the mean kid. And if they can't get out of being mean, if you can't help them learn how to work as a team or be nicer, then it's, it's possible that they've got to spend some time outside of practice and you just, you got, you might have to keep sending them, you know, you can't have that, um, from one, a safe sport, you know, if it's systematic, you can't have it from a safe sport standpoint, at least in USA volleyball. And it's horrible for your team. You just don't want to have that in your, uh, in your gym. So that's, I, I don't know, I guess that's, that's half of your question. And the other okay, half but, is, well, go before ahead. You get, well, yeah, before you get into clicks, uh, I want to twist it too and say, instead of a mean girl, maybe you have, um, or the boys too, of course, uh, oh, yeah. uh, somebody who's very like passive aggressive in the way that they are undermining some things. So then when you kick them out of the gym or when you have conversations with them, they can always go back to, Hey, I, you know, that's not what I meant. And you're misinterpreting my actions. What would you do with a situation like that? 
Yeah, that's a that's a really good one. Um, they could come back and say, no, that's not what I meant. Well, that, that may not be what you meant, but that's what's coming out. That's what it looks like to me and to the other player who's complaining about what you're doing. So we have to, we may have to break the habit, retrain what you're doing, um, make you aware of how that's making somebody else act or feel. And, you know, without getting too touchy feely on the whole thing, it, it does matter how these people deal with each other. Mm-hmm. You, you have a really hard time going forward if kids don't trust each other or if they, if they don't, you know, have some level of respect for each other. So I, I think if, I think as a coach, you've got to work pretty hard if you get a kid who just isn't believing that they're the problem and, and you definitely see the problem and the teammates see the problem. You've got to do some research, you got to do your homework and you got to get at this kid somehow if you want to keep them on the team, which is what I would hope coaches would do. Um, at least as far as I'm concerned, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I like that. That's a great, that's a great way to think about it. Um, now you were going to continue and talk about some clicks that I'm sure happen on a lot of teams. Well, here's the thing for clicks. We were at a high performance clinic this year and we're talking to one of the sitting players who just got back from winning a gold medal, right? Last, last summer. And she said to our little study group that it's very likely she would not be friends with the players that were on her gold medal winning team outside of volleyball. (laughs) And that was, that really kind of set me back. I thought, wow, you know, I just thought you did something like that together. You'd be the best of friends. Um, And she went on to explain that she was on this mission. It was what she wanted to do. These are the other people that were on the mission with her to go for this gold medal and she realized that she needed them now in the gym she's got to work with them and solve the issues and outside the gym she didn't have to hang around with them and and i don't mind that Uh, i think friendships are going to naturally build so for me in the gym i choose all the teams i don't let them choose their teams so we're going to work as pairs or triples or quads and they're always chosen. So if I know that there's clicks going on, they're going to be forced to work with all the players on the team. Um, I actually keep track of who plays with who on a you know, practice-by-practice basis so they all get to play with each other. So you can't force me and Nils to be friends, is what you're saying? No, I don't. I'm not, I'm not going to force you to be friends, but I'm going to force you to work together. Yeah, I don't know if I can force you, but I can make you work together in practice. And if your cauldron scores are going down because you guys can't work together, you're going to figure out a way to work together. You know? Sounds good. There's a film. There's a film called Viper. You should see that they, uh, they work together on it. Pay yeah. no attention to that. <laughs> Look that up on the internet somewhere. Uh, so BJ, moving on. We have uh, my AD is making me have my. Uh, I'm a new coach. My AD is making me have a parent meeting. Um, I'm pretty intimidated. What, what do I say are my expectations for the season? Um, I'm supposed to have come up with a coaching philosophy. I guess, how do I come up with these things? Do you have any advice for me? The coaching philosophy, I think, is, uh, is a critical thing that coaches need to do. I think every coach should have a philosophy. They should write it down. They should uh, do that in the off-season when you're sane, <laughs> when you have time, uh, when you can see straight, when you're not dead tired. And then put it down, walk away from it for a while, 
go see some volleyball or go to a clinic or whatever it is, do some other volleyball stuff and then come back to your philosophy and edit and, and then let your boss see it. Uh, I, I don't know why people are afraid to share their philosophy because your philosophy is going to come out anyway. The way your team plays is going to demonstrate your philosophy. So why not just let your boss and your parents and everybody see what that is? Um, and I think a well-written philosophy will help you uh, get through that, that parent meeting because they kind of know where you're coming from. Um, it also helps you stick to your philosophy if you hand it out to people. So, so that's, a, that's a good place to start. Um, at, a, at a parent meeting, then you can certainly hit some of the, the big topics in your philosophy, go after the big rocks like uh, playing time, communication, schedule, time commitments, some of those types of things. Um, and then obviously there's going to be a couple of rules that have to be followed um, hopefully as few as possible, but you know, the rules of playing and the rules that the school has and all that kind of stuff. And then for me, I'd quickly head into getting into a social setting so I could do a lot more one-on-one, just getting to know the parents. I think that's one of the, one of the biggest things that, um, coaches that have to deal with parents ought to do, uh, is, is get to know them, which is a little bit better. Cool. So to save me time in off seasons, can you just tell me your coaching philosophy so I can write it down? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I can tell you my coaching philosophy. Uh, this was uh, Kessel challenged us one time to have a three-word coaching philosophy, and I've had a couple of them, but the one I've I've rested on now is a safe learning environment. So I want the players to be uh, physically, emotionally safe. Um, I want them to be learning and open to learning and safe while they're learning, um, safe to make mistakes in our gym without being punished or without uh, getting yelled at. And then I want them in the environment that they're going to be in during matches. So we do our best to, um, to have them see as much game-like full whole reps as possible. Um, and so I asked John, of course, after he did the challenge, like, so what's your three-word philosophy? And his is create awesome leaders. So, of course, he wins again, as he always does. <laughs> so well, what's, your, what's your philosophy on conditioning, and, and uh, are you for it? And if you are, what, uh, what form does it look like? For me, um, I, I think conditioning is really important and it's so important that I'm going to send it home with them as homework (laughs) Uh, because most coaches um, maybe colleges have unlimited time to the gym but I don't I get my kids the current kids I have I get them three and a half hours a week I do not have enough time in there to condition them Um, so I recognize that there are some things that some of my players could do to get better, uh, to be better conditioned athletes. And I'll offer to them, um, look, if you want to get better, here's some, here's some first things, you know, um, I, I don't, I wouldn't push it on them too hard, but, uh, and certainly as you go up the ladder, I mean, if you're talking about high level, high school, college players, getting into professionals, conditioning becomes more and more and more important 
So in, in those cases, as players are starting to lift weights or do extra uh, plyometric workouts or, you know, those types of things, I think it's important to get an expert involved. I think you could, you could really go, I mean, if you're, if you're just trying to amateur this, uh, uh, you're, you're pulling the amateur hour on, you know, I think I know a little bit about conditioning or about plyometrics. I think you could be hurting your athletes. So that's, that's when to pull um, uh, a trainer in or somebody that really knows what they're doing. Do you find that um, a good, like a big percentage of your team would be doing their homework, be running on the weekends and doing that kind of stuff? Um, or do you think you have players like Nils where there's no way they would ever do that? <laughs> Nils, are you, uh, do you skip your homework? Wow, <laughs> Billy. Billy likes to throw Nils under the bus. Yeah, it seems like the, it seems like picking on Nils is usually the way it goes in the, in the podcast. As we got to, we got to sure. keep the fans happy, you know? I got you. Um, well, <laughs> for the kids that I'm coaching right now, I think it, as always, it depends. The kids I'm coaching right now, almost every kid on the team is a multi-sport athlete and they're doubling them up. So I've got kids that are playing basketball at the same time as they're playing volleyball or they're swimming at the same time as they're playing volleyball. Um, they're younger kids. So I think that's appropriate that they're playing multiple sports. It's good for you. So, I don't worry too much about conditioning unless I'm recognizing that a player is coming in tired or they just can't perform at the end of matches. But, you know, even the kids that I had at three and a half hours a week, we went and played at nationals this year. We played 10 matches, 11 matches in four days. And I didn't see any, um, I didn't see any signs of fatigue. I saw some kids that were a little bit sore or, you know, bruised and bumped a little bit, but, uh, as I watch their performance level, they're still where they need to be. So if you can play that many matches in that few days without the added conditioning, I, I think we're probably okay. But um, I don't know. Recognizing, again, as you go up the talent level, if you are a college athlete, you're going to have most likely professionals around, trainer, dietitian, those types of people that are going to help you get into the shape that you want to be in, I would, I would think. You mentioned earlier that you uh, saw a lot of value in keeping stats. I'm, I'm wondering what some basic stats that you keep are and, and how you would recommend keeping them. Well, boy, uh, we could talk for a few months about stats. Um, it, it, there's, to me, there's, there's two basic kind of stats. One is there are the stats that you're required to take for your you know, you're, if you're a college or high school team or something like that, you're playing a conference, you have to take the certain stats. NCAA, of course, you're taking stats, turning them in to wherever they go, whatever they're used for. So that's one, that's one level of statistics. Another group of stats that, that I like to take are performance stats, things that, are, things that we're looking at in practice or things that aren't, uh, aren't required for us to take, but are, how many times out of, you know, out of all of these reps are we doing this specific action? You know, if we're talking about, say, uh, uh, a big one is um, your passing movement, your passing mechanics. Do you have any pre-pass errors that you're making? Are you bending your elbows, praying, moving your arms in a weird way before you pass, or are they just going 
um, from low to ball, very straight, um, and and making that uh, movement. We had that problem on our team, so we started very simple with every single player. Every time they pass, their arms were straight and went right to the ball, or their arms bent in some way, and then we tracked their passing uh, rating when they were bending their arms and when their arms were straight and and using the mechanics that we wanted. And big surprise, when they were using the mechanics that we wanted, their pass rating was about a half a point higher. So then you use that information with the player and say, look, (laughs) it's all in your head, keeping your arms straight when you pass. If you can do that, you're going to pass way better and we're going to win more points because we can set better and we can hit better. Um, I I like stuff like that. And I sent you guys a couple of examples of other things that you can that you can do. I don't know how if you post stuff on your website or whatever, but um, we like to track opponents uh, opponents passing, where they're passing, and if they're passing poorly in one specific location or one specific player is passing poorly. And if we can find that player in that location, we'll light them up there every time they're there. They're getting every ball, um, or. Uh, track the opponent's hitting, track our hitting, know where where we're scoring or know where the opponent is scoring and, and make changes to that. So that's, you know, that's just a, a game stat that you can use. So, I don't know, those are simple to do. I have a question. So when you're tracking, do you track these things in practice as well? Like something as basic as some passing rating, do you do that in practice? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so we, then- we, yeah for sure. Cause the the problem that I feel like I run into with my gym sometimes is if I'm the one in my staff, if if we're taking stats during the play, um, I've had a hard time finding the balance between taking the right amount of stats to actually get a good data set versus actually interacting with the players and, and giving feedback. Sure. How how do you not lose that when you're when you are, are taking the stats? I think we're doing. I think coaches in general give too much feedback in practice. Mm-hmm. I think it takes away from the player's distraction uh, or, or adds to the player's distraction level. It takes away from their concentration. So um, at times, I'll be the one taking the stats. If I want to be uh, direct with a player and I want to I be um, you know, giving them some direct feedback or, or every time every rep sort of feedback, which I don't recommend, but if that's something that I want to do, then I'll turn it over to an assistant or even to the players. Um, we watched again at, at HP this year, Keegan Cook from, um, from uh, Washington, you know, UW as they call it there. We watched him do a, uh, have players track serving, whether the ball was, uh, was spinning or not, and whether it was in a seam or not, and all they have to do is write an S or an F or a you know whatever it is that they're tracking. They just write it down on the whiteboard, and then they switch the players out, and the players that are just passing come on over, and they're tracking on the whiteboard. Um, so you're getting some, uh, you're getting a little bit of rest while the other players are working, and it can be that simple. So then he's out coaching while the while some of the other players track. And I think that's a that can be a pretty effective way of doing things too. It'll probably also make the players care about or be into the stats a little bit more or understand them more too. Yeah, I think so. And it's you know that's a 
double-edged sword, of course. They yeah. can get really interested in the statistics, or uh, maybe Sab- you don't share them. They sabotage you know? their opponent, their people they're going out for the same position for. Wonder, you know, that's that certainly is a danger. You got to have your eye on that a little bit. So I'm sure that at the bigger schools, they're probably recording their practices, and they could look back if there was ever a question. Um, so I have I have another question. Can you tell us a little bit uh, about how you would handle uh, making cuts? Yeah, I'm a I'm pretty soft when it comes to cuts. Um, I had a couple of times where I would have. 17, 18 kids on a high school team because I just couldn't do it. Um, you know, uh, I remember one year I kept 18 kids. The 18th kid was really bad. And uh, <laughs> I mean, she just was bad. And I, I, we got to the day where tryouts were over. I'm like, man, I really ought to cut this player, but she's a good kid. She's a smart kid, I know. And, um, you know, I, I just want to find out what her mindset was. So I talked to her and I said, look, you're junior. There are sophomores on the JV team that are better than you right now. So you're not going to play this year. Uh, not very much. I'll look for places, but it's not going to be very often. And you're not going to play next year because those sophomores are going to come up and they're going to, they're going to be ahead of you because they already are. And, uh, she said, I'll never forget this. She said, that's okay. I just want to get a uniform, be on the team, and just just be around. I'm like, perfect. You're now the perfect player on our team because she'll sit down at the end of the bench. She'll have a perfect attitude, which she did for two years. And this kid is now, she's not a kid anymore. She's in her mid-30s. But she's the head nurse at the research hospital uh, in Madison. She's a physician's assistant. I would have looked like a complete idiot to cut a kid of that caliber, I think. Um, so I don't know. I'm soft, but sometimes you're forced to, if you get so many kids that come out and you get 12 uniforms, you got two problems, right? You got not enough uniforms and you got not enough gym space. <laughs> so you've got to let uh, a whole bunch of kids go. And, and that's, that's not an exaggeration that happens. Um, so I guess what I would do if I got to cut those kids is, um, certainly I would let the player know it's just not yet. I think those are pretty powerful words. You didn't make this team. Here's some other teams you can play for. Here's the recreational league. Here's some things that you can improve on your own. Um, and you know, if a kid, if you hand a kid a, a beach ball and say, go find three friends and go play at the beach. If they do that, they want to get better. If they take the ball and throw it in the in the garage and never use it, they didn't want to get better, and they're they're not that interested in playing volleyball. You know, um, I, I just I, it's hard for me to to cut kids that want to play. So I'm, I look for other opportunities. That's that's the best I think I can do for them um, in that situation. Cool, BJ. We're going to end with a tough one here. Um, this one actually did come straight from the VCT comments or questions. And maybe it addresses a larger question, maybe the coach's role, uh, I guess, in the players' lives and stuff. But um, BJ, your 14s player shows up to practice with a hickey. The other players are giggling and it's becoming a distraction. Is it your job or the coach's role to say something and give that player a little heart-to-heart or do you just ignore it and you're the coach on the volleyball court? 
Um, and then also with this change, I guess, dealing if you're a male coach or female coach, et cetera. All right. Um, first of all, could you explain, one of you guys explain to me how you get a hickey because I don't have that kind of experience. Yeah, John, go ahead. <laughs> I've, never, I've never gotten a hickey. <laughs> so you don't know either? <laughs> no, right. I don't know. It's really I think it's a, yeah, do something with mating rituals. I don't know. Yeah, okay. I thought well, it was when you were allergic to kissing. Yeah, if you're a high school coach, of um, it, this has happened to you. <laughs> and my comment was always, I hope that's gone by game day. Uh, and, you know, I think it's a personal thing. To me, that hickey doesn't affect me personally. I, I'd certainly want to help a player with some life choices, but that's a little bit longer-term goal, you know. Um, but once you put on a uniform and you go out in public and you're going to represent your school and your team and your family and all that kind of stuff, I think uh, I, I think it's not very reasonable to have the hickeys on your neck and and uh, when you're representing all those people. Like, let's look at it this way. If, say you're on the national team, you're going to pull on the USA jersey with hickeys running all down your neck. I, I can't say for sure because I don't know our national coaches personally, but I suspect that the, that the guys in charge right now would have something to say about it even at that level. Um, they're just they're quality guys, and I, I can't imagine they let somebody go out there. Of course, they have to deal with tattoos, but that's a whole different thing. Um, but you know what I mean? I I just I don't see that really flying even at that level. So if they're gonna have that standard, at least in in my imagination, they have that sort of standard. I don't think it's reasonable for a player to to go out on the game floor having a hickey on their neck. Cool. We started the conversation with be reasonable, and I think we ended there too. Um, How about that? Yeah. Hey, thanks thanks so much. I know we covered a a whole variety of topics, and uh, I think it was really helpful to our listeners to kind of get your uh, opinion on those, and it was helpful for me too. So thanks for coming on. That's a piece of cake. I think the biggest thing with this is, uh, you know, like I told you before, I think – as a coach, you have to have an answer. Whether your answer is awful or not, you've got to answer because they're gonna. These questions are gonna come up. All all these situations that you brought up are gonna happen. So you better be ready to answer some of them for sure. Awesome, good stuff. Thanks for yeah, having cool. people out, BJ. This is yeah, thanks, thanks guys. It was awesome. Yeah. Appreciate Keep up it. Good work on the uh, Facebook page. Now clear, clear up that hickey before Manhattan. Yeah, yeah, that's why I asked. <laughs> <laughs> why that's is Billy awesome. playing in a turtleneck? <laughs> 